I'm Kaitel. And I'm Joe. And we're the United Mates. Back in our school days, a shared passion for football brought us together as best friends. Today, we're separated by an ocean. I live in our hometown, London. And these days, I live in LA. But we still enjoy nothing more than chatting about the beautiful game. So we started a podcast. Join us. A few more old mates from school here and there. And new friends too from the world of professional football and beyond. This is the United Mates Football Podcast. Hello, welcome and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kaitel, and joining me here in LA as ever from back in our hometown of London is my co-host, Joe. We do, as usual, also have a special guest for today's show. We're both very excited to have with us. Rupert Vias is a Liverpool FC club ambassador for the hashtag HerGame2 movement, which is a movement that we're big fans of here at United Mates. We've spoken already to one of the founders, Kaz May, as well as um, a Charlton representative, Natasha Everett, on the pod already. But Rupert is also proudly from Wales and, of course, is a fan of the national side too, who might well even end up in England's group at the World Cup, which would be very interesting. So, Rupert, welcome to the podcast. It's our pleasure to have you with us. And how's it going? Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, oh, it's amazing, to be honest. Life as a Wales and Liverpool fan could not be better. So, yeah, I'm loving life. Yeah, Wales and Liverpool going strong, both pushing for some pretty big accomplishments at, at the minute and both pretty close to, to achieving that. Joe, how's it going, mate? As we record, Spurs are above Arsenal on goal difference, but my team have a couple of games in hand and we're actually about to kick off against Crystal Palace any minute now. So that could all change in a couple of hours. Yeah, well, um, unsurprisingly, after Tottenham's 5-1 win yesterday, I'm feeling pretty good. And... More optimistic, I think, about this end of season kind of race for fourth place. I mean, as yet, as we're recording, Arsenal are literally, well, has it started or are you about to play Palace? Don't, I think don't it's you know. an 8 p.m. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, by the time you're listening, the game would have gone. But at, the, at this moment in time, it feels like that game could go either way. So it's all it's all exciting times. And um, yeah, I'm just waiting for Tottenham to find a way to disappoint me, but I'm actually feeling quite optimistic. So we'll see what happens. Um, but Rupert, as um, Kai was saying earlier, we're obviously really excited to have you as a guest on the podcast today. And whenever we have a guest on our podcast, we always start with an icebreaker question. And what we tend to do is we will look at your Twitter account and we'll find something you've posted about. Nothing too crazy, don't worry. But we have found something on your Twitter account which we wanted to talk about. So we understand that you recently bought a new car, a, a, a GTI, I believe, which is a very nice, very nice car. Um, and I understand that you asked a question about whether it's acceptable to sleep in your car in the first night. So what our icebreaker question is today is to understand what is the most obscure place that um, you've ended up sleeping in? But we'll give you some time to think, think of your answer, because I know you it's maybe not so easy to freestyle that one. So we'll start with Kai. Kai, wh where is the, the most obscure place that you've ended up sleeping? Well, apart from, you'll probably remember that night that we spent on someone's floor um, in their living room. Oh, uh, yeah. Like randomly <laughs> like, bundled underneath pillows for, for warmth because that was what we came up Snowing. with when we were yeah, yeah. in our drunken state. But 
otherwise um i did a euro trip um after my first year of uh university out here i went back to to europe and we ended up at one point in slovenia and couldn't figure out a place to stay for the night so we slept at the train station in some random city in the middle of slovenia just on like the sort of the benches which was an uncomfortable night but kind of a memorable one uh, in the end um joe what what about you <laughs> you know i don't think that there's there's nowhere too obscure but there was one time at a friend's birthday party when i was 21 where um there was a it was a quite a nice birthday party to be there was a silent disco taking place but i clearly had so much to drink that i ended up lying down on a beanbag very late at night and managed to pass out with the silent disco um, headphones still in and I remember waking up early in the morning with music blaring out of my ears so that was maybe more more impressive that I fell asleep but slightly obscure I suppose but um Rupert you, you've had a bit of time to think um where where is the most obscure place that you've ever fallen asleep oh I'm trying to think of obscure I think I sleep in generally normal places acceptable places to sleep um Oh, I'd say, I don't know, maybe a lecture in uni. That's probably quite obscure. It's not really respectful to a lecturer, <laughs> but, you know, a heavy night out and it's bound to happen. That's probably like the weirdest. It's probably normal as well. So I can't say I've slept in many, I don't know, benches, bunkers. Well, hopefully not in the middle of this uh, podcast um, either. <laughs> a lecture is fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll try and stay awake. <laughs> we, we appreciate that, Rupert. Um, we'll take things back to football and back to your childhood. When we get guests on, we like to get a bit of a flavour of what it was that got them into football in the first place, kind of refer to it as their football origin story, so to speak. So, Rupert, what was it about some early memories, perhaps, of watching football or playing football that really resonated with you and made you fall in love with the beautiful game yeah so I've got an older brother so I was into a lot of like boyish things as a child um I sort of followed in his footsteps but not completely he's a United fan so we are polar opposites um, my dad's a Liverpool fan so I went with him um but I think for me it was more I was one of the only girls playing with the boys at break time um I'd be watching on the weekends, I'd be playing in school. And I I don't know what it was. I think it was just a game that everyone sort of like understood and we all just like forgot about everything else and just played the game. And it was just a way to sort of like escape everyday life. I know I said that like as a child, there wasn't much else going on. But as an adult now, I definitely resonate with that, that it's it's an escape from like everyday life. So I fell in love with the game watching the likes of Steven Gerrard and Michael Owen and they're the sort of people who made me fall in love with it even more and fall in love with Liverpool in particular so my early memories are watching Steven Gerrard score against Man United in Cardiff so I was very lucky in that sense. I mean yeah those are fantastic memories and obviously a player like Steven Gerrard, one of the, the best of his generation, that's enough to get you excited about football. Um, and of course, um, not only are you a Liverpool fan, Rupert, but you're actually the Liverpool ambassador for her game too, um, which Kaitel mentioned a bit earlier in the intro to this podcast. Um, how did you um, get involved with her game too? Like Kai said, we've spoken to a couple of people, but how did the opportunity arise for you to become the Liverpool FC ambassador? 
So I've been big fans of them since they started. I've kind of been involved with some of the stuff they did for the Euros. I've been in conversations with them, but it was sort of from a distance, like I was involved and sharing everything they were doing, but I wasn't directly involved. So I wanted to be because I kept an eye and they didn't have anyone for Liverpool, which was a shock because we're massive, like we're everywhere. There's got to be, there's a lot of female fans as well. So um, I just sort of like took the opportunity to be like, hey guys, like I know you get along with me. I like what you're doing. Can we put this together and sort of get something going? So we haven't like got a partnership with Liverpool yet, but we are in talks with the club, um, positive talk. So it's really good. And it's something that I sort of wanted to be involved with so I can put my opinions forward and do what I think is best for female Liverpool fans. So her game to, despite some fantastic um, strides, like a partnership with the club from the blue half of, of Merseyside, as well as um, one with Brentford as well. Um, so those have been some pretty high profile kind of collaborations that just show how strong the movement is. Otherwise, recently, um, one of the challenges that the movement faces was kind of highlighted on Twitter when it surfaced that someone had actually gone through the effort of making stickers that were actively against the movement, calling for people to say no to her game too. I mean, earlier, I think in this season, if not the end of last season, we saw the, was it All Lives Matter banner flown over Turf Moor uh, during a Burnley game. So football and controversial opinions kind of can go hand in hand sometimes. Do you think that football in particular is kind of a good representation of a wider scale sort of societal issue? Or do you think on a kind of negative point of view that football has a way of kind of concentrating these less progressive members of, of the public? Basically, are football fans harder to get through to than your average person? And how does that affect the struggles of the Her Game 2 movement? Um, I would say that, yeah, it probably is a bit harder because especially with football fans on social media, it's so easy. There's a lot of them out there. It's so easy for them to like hide behind a picture of a player or something and post stuff. But for someone to do what they did on the weekend publicly, like that shows that someone's clearly got some sort of hatred. I don't understand why. I mean, what is the issue? I'm a woman and I'm going to a game. What? How does that affect you? I'm not doing anything to you. So I don't know what the hatred is. It's the same with the All Lives Matter thing. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I think wider society understands that. But in football, I guess I guess it's the same in general society, that there are going to be a group of people who will just go against the grade just for the sake of drawing attention to themselves and causing controversy. People are always out there to pick a fight, which is a shame, really. You're not going to get through to everyone. I think we've accepted that. We've accepted the fact that we need to work harder. So, yeah, probably one of the worst parts of football culture, which typically is looked at as, you know, kind of a fun and, and positive environment, but there's a long way to go in, in certain regards, um, clearly. Um, on a lighter note, time now actually for a, a game that we like to play on the podcast. It is called Who Are You? And essentially the game is Joe and Rupa are going to be trying to guess a mystery player. I'm going to give them one clue to begin with from there both of you can ask as many questions as you'd like if you're listening of course try to play along too um for this first one and actually for all of them the links are going to be um liverpool or wales kind of related to stay on brand with um with today but this first player is 
a former Liverpool player who scored against Wales at Euro 2016? Daniel Sturridge. I remember yeah, it so I'll vividly, it. that's no, why. No. That's fantastic. Oh, I get nightmares about it. God. Yeah, as, that soon as, as soon as we drew, well, I say we potentially drew England in the World Cup, I was like, please no, like, please make up for that time. <laughs> A flashback to the yeah moment yeah. when Daniel Sturridge, of course, scored against Wales at the Euros. So we'll move on to this next one. Rupa's already got one. Um, this Welsh footballer played for Liverpool twice, two different occasions, and it's it's not Ian Rush who also, I guess, did the same. He played twice for Liverpool, as, as in well. not not two appearances, but on two separate occasions. <laughs> yeah, I was going that is niche. Some <laughs> like really random academy player. Um, okay, two occasions. Well, is he still playing football? No, no. although he retired. Not not like. A super long time ago, but but no, retired at this point. I think he's in coaching, perhaps. Oh, would would did this player play for quite a number of Premier League teams? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. I think I think I might know who it. Well, I, I think I do know who it is. Craig Bellamy. Yeah, indeed, it is <laughs> Craig Bellamy. Um, so Joe's kind of drawn level here. Um, I think Ruby, yeah. you you probably. I was going to shout it out, but I didn't. I didn't want to. Say uh, yeah, I could tell from that you knew that one as well. <laughs> Um, but it was very um, nice of you not not to. Yeah, you gave me you gave me my chance. Yeah. So, fortunately, <laughs> I took it. Now we got the probably exactly the we're lined up for this one, and I think this one's the toughest one. So it's a oh, good God. thing that we're level. And Rupa, funnily enough, you mentioned um, you know growing up watching Stephen Gerrard and and Michael Owen, two players that came mm-hmm. through Liverpool's academy. This player didn't quite make it through Liverpool's academy, so that it, unlikely that you would have seen him turn out um, uh, for Liverpool. But he's, yeah, a retired Welsh footballer who once played with the likes of Stephen Gerrard and Michael Owen in Liverpool's academy. Wow, okay. Oh, my God, I have no idea. Um, right, let's have a think. Was he a goalkeeper? No. Okay, he's not a goalie. Don't know if that helps much, but we can rule goalie yeah. out. Um, did he play the majority of his career in the Premier League? Obviously not for Liverpool, but for other teams. Um, not necessarily. He definitely played for two different clubs in the Premier League, at least. Um, but neither of them are like consistent Premier League clubs. Oh, the yo-yos. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Or I should um, say they haven't been Premier League clubs for a while, either of them. Oh, so we we say maybe a black... So one player. of them is probably Cardiff City. <laughs> Um, well, actually, whether or not he played for them in the Premier League, he has played for Cardiff City. Oh, okay. Okay, interesting. Played for mm-hmm. Cardiff City, Liverpool. And was he a good player for Wales? Like, was he a regular? In yeah, he actually Wales was pretty, pretty good for Wales. And in particular, for one of the semi-sort of yo-yo Premier League clubs that he played for, he was really, really good for them in the championship. In, like, a standout championship player who kind of, Decent Premier League player, but never really sort of established himself. Is is he one of these players that is a scouser but has Welsh family? Is it is he someone that he apparently was born in Wrexham, so he is Welsh. But um, oh my god, I can't even think. For some reason, it's not Adam Hamill. That would be quite. (laughs) No, it's not. I like that. Yeah, I don't think he was. Um, Uh, I'm looking now. um, According. 
to Wikipedia, um, he was quoted in The Guardian as a mercurial, a mercurial talent. That, that won't help you, but... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I genuinely can't think of who it could be. There's Same. one club in particular that are not a team high up the ladder that he started his professional career with and ended his professional career with, and that's Tranmere Rovers. So he's kind of synonymous with them. Oh, Otherwise, we've mentioned he's played for Cardiff. He's also played for Wigan. And the team that he is probably most well-known from is West Brom. Wigan, West Brom. I can't think. Oh I genuinely have well, no I, idea. It could be I feel anyone. like I'm... He's going to be on the tip of both of your tongues, for sure. Yeah. Um, he's played 34 times for Wales, and he scored 10 times. Oh, God. Oh so is he a striker? He's kind of an attacking midfielder. Can we cut this bit out? <laughs> <laughs> it was all going so well with the other. God, Wigan West Brom. Trying to see yeah. if there's any other, yeah, like good clues that I can give you. Not. Oh my god! And he's an attacking midfielder. Yeah. Oh my god! Why is this so hard? And you said West Brom's the team where he was most. Yeah, he was pretty good at West Brom, and off the back of that, Wigan signed him when they were in the Premier League for sure. Oh my god! It's not Nathan Ellington. I don't think he's Welsh. No. I think he might play for both those teams. Uh, I might. I mean, let, let me if if you give up, just let me know. But I'm, I'll try to think of maybe if you give if there's one <laughs> one more clue. But I don't know. I'm, I'm for some reason I'm, I'm struggling. I'll give you the. I can give you his initials. Go on, mate. <laughs> J.K. Oh my god! Why is that not what? Even? Why is this so difficult? Yeah. He honestly, it's it's strange because he was actually pretty good, but he yeah just never really had like someone king. <laughs> I was yeah <laughs> not not king actually. Um, oh. All right, are we? Uh, I think you might have to put us out yeah. of our misery. Well, it, I guess in that case, it's going to be a tie between the two of you. <laughs> Jason Kumas. Oh, I didn't. I didn't have no. no... I wouldn't have even. He, he was fantastic football. Yeah, I've learned something new tonight. Didn't know he was that good. <laughs> Well, there, there you go. go there you go <laughs> it was a pretty um kind of tricky one so I, yeah the uh, first two were so easy as well it just like <laughs> it straight out from, uh, level one to yeah level 100 for the last one um but we don't mind a draw here at the united mates kind of like a nice no one gets their feelings too badly hurt um spurs <laughs> are used to it anyway hey oh god i didn't yeah, expect I that from you but i'm used to it i'm used to the spurs yet <laughs> um well back to liverpool in particular um, we're going to chat about them for, for just a little bit now. And on recent form, I think they have won their last 10 games in the Premier League. They've already won the Carabao Cup. Um, they're still in the hunt for the FA Cup and the Champions League. And, you know, of course, of course, the Premier League. Rupa, how many trophies will Liverpool have at the end of the, the season? See, if you asked me this a few months ago, I'd probably say four. But now that it's actually becoming a reality, I don't want to say it out loud, especially because we're facing City like twice in two weeks and we've got the Champions League games coming up. I don't want to say it out loud. I don't want to jinx anything. But in the back of my mind, I'm saying four. So the quadruple is on um, yes. very much. Still alive, the dream um, for Rupa and a bunch of Liverpool fans out there. Um, a lot of the positive stuff and there's been so much positive stuff about the entire team this season 
Um, the defense is really tight back almost to kind of like Klopp when he had those ridiculous Dortmund defenses that were like setting records in the Bundesliga. And then obviously at the other end of the pitch, you have this ridiculous wealth of attacking talent, Sela and Mane, Jota, who's been incredible, Luis Diaz, who looks like a pretty good signing. Firmino's kind of shown glimpses of some of his um, good form of the past. Even the likes of Harvey Elliott kind of like ready to, to jump in there. So there's a lot of exciting attacking players. Is there a front three that you have a preference for and why so? Oh, I hate picking. I hate having to choose between them. But to be honest, for me, it's Salah, Mane and Jota. I think they're, they're the ideal three. I mean, Jota just loves scoring. He can't get enough at the moment. Salah, even on his bad days, he's still quite good. So that's the thing. Like, he set the bar so high that... People will slate him all over social media. Well, not just social media, in the stands as well. They'll be like, oh, he's having a shit day. My lad's swear, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he can have an off day and he's still brilliant. Mane, he's he's doing a lot better and I'm glad because he's actually getting recognition for his performances. I mean, I, I feel personally like we wouldn't have Salah without Mane because Mane's helped us in the season before we got Salah. So these are crucial players and for them to like set the foundations of the Liverpool of the future is amazing. I mean, I feel so lucky to witness what we're witnessing. Like these are the golden days. So I'm really happy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible really what Liverpool are doing at the moment. When you think you've already in the last few years, won the Premier League and the Champions League, you know, things could be eclipsed this season if everything goes to plan, but that's, um, Let's just talk about the game that's taking place this weekend, a pretty big one as it happens, Liverpool versus Manchester City at the Etihad. Um, it feels like a bit it feels like a bit of a cup final, to be honest, in a way. I know there's a lot of games left in the season, but with the form that both teams are on, it does have the sense of a match where whoever wins the game will probably go on and win the league. Might not, but probably will. I know earlier you said you think Liverpool are going to win all four trophies, so I assume that means you think they're going to win against City. But how do you how do you see the game going? Are Liverpool going to take the game to City? Is it going to be a bit of a tactical chess match and Liverpool will sit off a bit, or is that just not possible? What do you, what what's going to happen in the Liverpool Man City game, Rupert? Oh, I think it's really hard to predict. I mean, we were in the same situation back in 2019. City away, I think, was the only game we lost, um, which would have won us the league. And that happened to be on my birthday as well. And I was there oh, no. and I was literally like crying. I cried when we scored thinking this is it, we won the league. And then I cried when we lost because we lost the league. I think we're in the same situation. I don't think, tactically, I can't predict. I don't think we should change anything. Um, there are like mind games going on at the moment. I know like Trent was out for international break and then suddenly he's okay for Benfica. So I think there's going to be a lot of mind games between Pep and Klopp as well. So I'm excited but nervous. Like all I can think of, I can't even think about the Champions League at the moment. I feel like that's won already. That's over and done with. <laughs> Let's just get to Sunday. I want to get to Sunday at what, half six and just know that we're top of the league or whether we've not won it and I can just wallow in self-pity. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not too many days away now. So one way or another, we'll find out. But um, 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's going to be such an exciting game. Like you said, it is quite reminiscent of the um, the game a couple of years ago, which or three years ago, even that did fall on your birthday. But the momentum is very much with Liverpool, I'd say. I mean, City are doing well, but obviously my team, Spurs, I've seen in the not-too-distant past beat City at the Etihad. So it's possible, if Tottenham can do it, I'm sure as hell Liverpool can. But um, let's look ahead, actually, to the summer. I mean, by this point, you might have won the quadruple, and, I mean, who cares about who you buy in the summer? But my question is, you've, as Kai said earlier, you've got a wealth of attacking options. You've got fantastic players all over the pitch, really, but obviously teams are always looking to improve. So in the summer, where what are the priority positions where Liverpool need to go out and maybe buy a few other players just to get even, even better as a team? I think we still have a few issues with... So our squad depth has... I used to hate those two words. And now it's improved massively. Like We've actually got options to come off the bench, like strong options. And it's so great to see a strong team and a strong bench. But I think we still need to look at backups. I mean, a lot of stuff is riding on whether Salah signed this contract. That's all going on. And there's rumours the other day that, oh, he's agreed a deal. And I'm like, oh, please, God. But also, we don't know what's going to happen. So I feel like there's got to be considerations around that. But I, I don't, I can't predict what we're going to do. And I kind of like having that, like not lo- not knowing like what's going on behind the scenes with all these rumours. I absolutely hate transfer windows. They are literally the worst time, like twice a year as well. I can't believe we have to go through that. But especially with social media, I think it's absolute hell. Um, I think we will need to look at like, especially right back. I mean, if Nico's going to, I love Nico Williams, but if he's going to go out somewhere permanent, then I think we're a little bit screwed. I mean, Gomez proved his worth the other day um, with his assist. And I like when players prove them wrong, but at the end of the day, we need to look at long-term options. Like players are going to have good days and bad days, but we can't just rely on them having that one-off good game. We need consistent players with the likes of like Trent and Robbo. So I think at the back, we need to look at more options. Um, Possibly midfield. I think our front three, my preferred front three will stay. I think, I hope. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think we need to look at, I think we need to look at mainly towards the back. Just in case, especially when we get those injuries. I hate that word as well, but we get cursed. So if we win a lot of trophies this season, I feel like we are going to like suffer for it. So I think, yeah, Klopp is probably looking already, to be honest. I think guys just need to like clone James Milner because that guy can play anywhere. Um, and then you've got essentially a, an extra squad player in every single position, pretty much. Um, probably even going goal, if you ask him. Um, moving on from uh, Liverpool, though, we are going to chat uh, about Wales before before we wrap things up. And Exciting time, as you mentioned earlier, Rupert, to be a Wales fan. Uh, they're close to qualifying for the World Cup. They've got to have to play um, either Scotland or Ukraine in a final qualifying match to, to make it into a group that would contain England, the United States, where I'm living these days, and Iran as well. How confident are you that Wales will be either Scotland or Ukraine to make it to the World Cup, Rupert? So we're really lucky. We've got the home advantage. So whoever goes through, we're at home, we're in Cardiff, Cardiff City Stadium. Um, we're going to have a full house. I think we can beat anyone there. So I've got full faith. Like already, that's what I'm saying, that Wales have got England, Iran, USA in the group because I know that we're going to get there. 
it's just a case of getting there. Like this game has been put off, so we're just waiting. And I mean, I'd rather get it out of the way, but also I like the excitement. We've got longer to sort of enjoy this. Like I've waited my entire lifetime. Even my dad hasn't seen Wales in a World Cup. Like he's quite old. So <laughs> it's been a long time. And to see these players, like they're a great squad as well. Like they're all just a great bunch of lads. They're doing well at their clubs. They're doing well um, for Wales. And yeah, I think we're just all enjoying it. We're just happy to be there, you know, little old Wales on the big stage. For us to get to the Euros was incredible. And especially how well we did in 2016, I think we can never sort of get that far. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like we can't like do it consistently, but those big moments will come. And for us to just get to the World Cup, I think will be incredible. But that group is very, very winnable. So... For Wales, not for England. <laughs> oh, that is fighting talk. Fighting talk. I, mean, I mean, yeah, I think an, an England-Wales game in the World Cup would be pretty tasty, especially given, obviously, what happened back at the Euros. I'm sure Wales are desperate for revenge. Um, and, yeah, those those games can go either way. But, um, obviously, um, this World Cup, well, we're, we're all excited about it, but it is, it is taking place in Qatar. And, I mean, reports even in the last week have surfaced that Qatar security officials have literally come out and said that they would confiscate rainbow flags in order to protect fans, as they said. And there's obviously all sorts of other controversies with this tournament that we've, we've heard about, you know, workers' rights and various other things. Um, I guess earlier on in the podcast, we spoke about some of the the nastiness on social media. I mean, an actual real life of people, you know, making these stickers anti-her game too. But I suppose on the flip side, in recent years, we've seen the players really take a stand from, well, take a knee, I should say, actually, before games. We've seen players back the her game two movement as well, which is really positive. At this World Cup, given there is a lot of controversy with regards to where it's taking place, do you think we will see players take a stand or is is it going to what yeah will will players speak out about what's going on in Qatar or not what do you think I mean I should hope so but I feel like there's going to be a sense of fear like it's the World Cup it's something that a lot of footballers well all footballers dream of so it's very hard for them if they say something wrong and then they get punished and they're not able to sort of like play there it's a very hard position to be in. I mean, even as a fan, if Wales get there for the first time, I want to be there, but I don't think morally I could go. I mean, I didn't go to Qatar when Liverpool played there uh, for the Club World Cup either. Um, it, it's very tough. I think even as a fan, like, you don't know, especially when things are like, you can't change anything. Even if I'm going to speak out or boycott or anything, it's not going to really change anything it's going to go ahead anyway. So I think they're in a tough position. I, maybe they'll speak out after, but I don't think we'll expect, like we can expect to see like big statements from especially like any big global players or anything. Yeah, to be honest, I think there's, I think you might be right. I mean, I think it would be very powerful if we did, but I mean, I guess as, as we get closer to the tournament, 
I'm sure there'll be plenty more written and discussed and we might have our answers, but it's certainly something to keep an eye out, just given on, I suppose, I don't know what we call it, player activism in um, in recent years within the game. But um, let's go back to talking about Wales and let's actually talk about my favourite Welshman of all time, probably, Gareth Bale. I mean, wow, he's, he's still one of my heroes to this day. He obviously um, he got both the goals against Austria, another vintage belt performance. But it's a weird time for him in many ways because he's obviously back at Real Madrid. He's not, he's not playing much club football yet. Obviously, he's still doing the business for Wales. If Wales do get through to the World Cup, and as we've said, that's looking quite likely, where, where do you want to see Bale playing prior to the tournament because I think he's a free agent in the summer and he can obviously I mean I assume it would be important for Wales that he is playing some football in the, the run-up to the tournament where, where would you like to see him play? Am I allowed to say Liverpool? Oh <laughs> um, well, yeah think, I mean yeah where would you? That would yeah. be the best of both worlds okay. for me. Where, where would you like to see him play and where do you think we will see him play next season? There we go. Um, I think it could be a possibility that he came to somewhere. If it's just a case of getting regular football, I mean, he doesn't care about Madrid, does he? He couldn't care less. He's on so much money, sitting there chilling. I respect him so much for what he's doing. And then he, he says he has a bad back, comes to Wales, scores two goals. Like, people were telling me, oh, I went on this, like, Welsh thing, and they were like, oh, no, don't start bail. He hasn't had any match time. I was like, Gareth Bale can do anything. Comes along and scores that beauty of a free kick. I literally lost my voice from that free kick. But honestly, he's amazing. I'd love to see him, obviously, for the World Cup. He needs more game time. It's not going to be like a one-off game. It's hopefully going all the way to the final. So um, I want him to go to a quality club. I can't say Cardiff City are actually that good, to be honest. Maybe Spurs. I mean, yeah, I love Spurs. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> maybe he'll go there uh, unless he wants to be back in Wales. It's I guess it's a personal choice for him and he's got the luxury of going wherever he wants to. Anyone will take him, to be honest. So I wouldn't say no. Yeah, I mean, it'll be... I mean, Kai, what do you think? I mean, yeah, I guess... You want to go to Arsenal, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean... We don't want him at Arsenal. That's all right. What what do you... Yeah, what what would your gut feeling be with Bale? Um, Where's where's he going next? I'm not familiar with which... um, cities have like the highest sort of density of golf courses um so (laughs) i'd have to do my research before giving you an accurate kind of answer on that one build one that's true he already has i think he's got one in cardiff i think well he's got a mini golf um, oh is it a mini that's hilarious yeah um but i don't know you know like uh, newcastle kind of ran through my head but i don't know if eddie howe's maybe like trying to build a bit more of a team effort kind not not that Obviously, Bale does put in the work, and obviously he's an inspirational character, probably most effectively for the Welsh national team as this kind of iconic figure, more so than he might be at your average English club, um, where obviously the expectation is to do a lot of running. Um, and, and so who, who knows if the Premier League is such an attractive option as far as um, clubs looking to sign Gareth Bale. But um, I don't know, I'd love to see him in the MLS. I think that would be awesome. Get him out here to the Galaxy. Why not? Um, or LAFC. I actually live closer to that stadium. So, yeah, let's go for LAFC. Um, <laughs> I'm still sticking with Wales, though, and sticking with Gareth Bale. Turning towards the future, this is probably going to be his last tournament if Wales hopefully can, can qualify. Um, 
is Robert Page the man in, in charge at the minute, the guy to kind of continue to push this team forward um, in a, terms of qualifying for future tournaments? And who are the, who are the players that are going to take up the mantle that kind of has been held by um, Gareth Bale and to a lesser extent um, Aaron Ramsey perhaps? Um, so I think what Rob Page just done, he stepped up when everything happened with Ryan Giggs. He's done an amazing job. Um, just a guy from down the road from me in the Ronda, he's taken Wales to the big stage. So for him to do that is incredible. Um, he's obviously going to take him to the World Cup, I hope. This is all his hard work. He's sort of like instilled that work ethic into the players. Um, I've heard last time, like they were just so relaxed, so calm just playing foot golf instead of like hardcore training the night before a match. Everyone's just so, I think like he said um, in a press conference, he was like, you're just playing with your mates, go out there and enjoy it. And I think that mentality has taken Wales this far and hopefully even further. So I think he will stick around for the World Cup. After that, I, I, can't, I couldn't say like who will come in. I don't even know what will happen with, technically Ryan Giggs is still in charge, which is ridiculous in my opinion, but yeah, that's just something we have to deal with. Um, I think the players know about like the mentality they need to have. Like obviously Robert Page has helped like keep that going. But yeah, Gareth Bale, there's the likes of like Chris Gunter, who's been around for quite a while, Aaron Ramsey, these sort of players, if they are gonna like sort of back out from international football. I mean, Gareth Bale's playing club football just to keep playing for Wales. That's all he's doing. So if this is his last tournament, he's going to retire from football altogether. So you never know. You could see him go into like coaching, especially. I think Wales is very, very, very close to his heart, obviously. But he could go into something like that. I, I'm not entirely sure of his intentions. Like after, I don't know if he wants to carry on playing football. I don't even know if he likes playing football anymore and just does it for fun. But um, it would be great if we could see a player like that, someone with all of his experience, you know, coming from Whitchurch and Cardiff and going to Qatar, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, I think he'd do a great job. Um, he knows, like, sort of the ethos of being, like, Welsh. And being Welsh goes hand in hand with being a footballer, I guess, a passionate footballer. So. Yeah, I mean, that would be interesting if, he, if Bale went down that route. Like you said, Wales is obviously so dear to his heart and I mean it really feels like he is gonna he's gonna lead you to the World Cup and to be honest quite like to see it I just don't want him to do well against England um but every other game I'll be supporting him because he's yeah he's genuinely one of my one surprisingly one of my favorite players of all time but um on that Gareth Bale Wales future note I think that's a good time to end the podcast so as always um a big thank you to my co-host Kaitel and an even bigger thank you from the both of us to our guest Rupert and um, Rupert it's been fantastic chatting to you on the podcast and um, we really appreciate you coming on for our listeners who might want to um follow you on social media and check up what you're up to these days what, what what's the best ways they can follow you um, Twitter is where I post most of my stuff. So LFC underscore RV is where you can find me and all my ramblings about Wales and Gareth Bale and GTIs. Cheers again, Rupa. Um, best of luck uh, to you and to Wales as far as the World Cup goes. And uh, to Liverpool, why not? It doesn't really affect Arsenal so much at this point. 
Um, so good luck with the quadruple, uh, perhaps even. That would be a pretty cool thing to witness um, just as a fan of, of football. That's quite a feat. Um, as far as our listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe wherever it is that you like to stream your favorite podcast. Just search for United Mates Football Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at United Mates FP. So give us a follow on those two. And if you feel like putting any faces to these voices, you can find us on YouTube. Look for United Mates Football Podcast and don't forget to subscribe while you're at it. For all that content and more in one place, the website is unitedmatesfp.com. Until next time, everyone, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Goodbye.